Welcome to the Seat Go Create podcast. This is Tim Winders, your host. I'm a coach for business owners, executives, and leaders. My wife and I consider ourselves nomads, and we currently travel, live, and work in our 39-foot RV. This portion of the podcast, my side, is actually recorded in our mobile office. Make sure, make sure that you listen to the end of the podcast, if you would. We're going to include ways that you can continue the conversation that we start today by connecting with us directly. Today, we have TJ Kastning as our guest. TJ is the owner of Ambassador Search Group, and he claims to connect great people with old-fashioned headhunting. We're going to ask him about all these terms. We're going to drill down and get into a lot of things. He lives and works in Idaho, which you know I'm going to be talking about that, where he, um, he visits surrounding states on his adventure motorcycle, photographing the countryside and competing in autocross and a lot of other things. But TJ, welcome to Seek Go Create podcast. Thanks for having me, Tim. This is going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So first question I like to ask, and then I'm going to ask you some things about Idaho and some other things like that. Tell us in your words, what do you do? Give us your elevator pitch. I, I help companies, great companies, find the types of people that they specifically need to fit their culture and their uh, job requirements to build excellent companies. Because uh, at the end of the day, you can be a, a wonderful um, manager of a company, but you need a team of people around you to help grow that company. And we participate in that process. And that's a process of reaching out to passive candidates, uh, through our relationships, through people that we don't know, introducing the opportunity, being ambassadors for our client um, and representatives for both the client and the candidate to make sure that they build a sustainable long-term relationship. Yeah. So you a matchmaker? You could say that. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. Well, I mean, that's, that's a beautiful thing because, and, and you know, we're going to talk more we're not going to dwell on the current state of things as we're recording this, which is spring of 2020, but I believe it's significant that we don't ignore it. And, and to me, people in your field, when unemployment rates and, and businesses are just, there's just a lot going on. I, I, to me, I think you're going to be critical and I think you could share a lot of wisdom with us. So we'll get to that in just a moment. But the first thing, man, Idaho, tell us about Idaho. I've been to all all the states. I, there's two I'm missing: Montana, North Dakota. But I don't think I've been to the part of Idaho that you're in. This, which is the place I really want to go. Tell us about Idaho. So Idaho is well, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, the the city that I'm north, in. Is that north? Is that north? It is. It's about 400 miles north of Boise, uh, maybe two hours south of the Canadian border, and. It's like maybe like a Tahoe, um, like a, maybe like a Kalispell, Montana, super pretty. I mean, just it's a it's a it's a wonderful place. They call it God's country for a good reason. And it's um, it's an inspiring place to live. Right. Because you just get to see beauty everywhere. So I, I highly recommend visiting if, if you're looking for a cool place to vacation. There's a lot of lakes. Yeah. Are you? Yeah. Are you from there? Did you grow up there? I did. Yeah. And I always thought I would leave too, you know, growing up in a smaller town, you know, you don't, don't appreciate the beauty. And then, you know, you do a bunch of traveling and you go visit the big cities and you realize that the concrete jungle has nothing, you know, compared to what 
you know, Coeur d'Alene has to offer. So I'm here for the rest of my life. Yeah. Population there, smaller mm -hmm. town, resorty town. Resorty Metro is like a hundred thousand. We got Spokane about mm -hmm. 30 minutes off to the West and that's four fifty or so. But yeah. Good amenities. I mean, there's, there's everything that you'd want, but you can also, you know, be on a mountain in about five, 10 minutes. Yeah. One of the things that's interesting about the time that we are recording this spring, late April, we're recording in late 2020. Someone might be listening to it later, but my guess is some of the repercussions of what's going on will still be around. I don't know that it's going to be an immediate back to the way it was in early 2020. You may think differently. We can have discussions about that, but I think we're in for some new normals, some different things. One of the things that I can see happening and again, I'm, an, I'm a guy in an RV, so that's um, my perspective could be awesome or it could be warped, is that people are going to want to, they're going to have a strong desire to move away from some of the large cities. Not everyone, but I think people are going to want to, I, th I think there may be some trends as far as not working in big office space and, and remote. And we've always done that. My wife worked remote for Silicon Valley company for about four years. What about you? What, what kind of trends? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of jumping into a few things that I hadn't planned to, but do you see any of those things happening? People wanting to live in a place like you are instead of a I'm in from Atlanta, four million, you know, plus city where all these people could get viruses passed around. What are your thoughts? I, I agree. I mean, Coeur d'Alene's only seen to date, you know, here on the 23rd, we've only seen 50 infections in town. They're all at home. My wife's a nurse, so she, we track this stuff pretty carefully. Hmm. And it's rural, right? There's real advantages to that. And maybe now people see some of those a little bit more keenly. We haven't seen any sort of influx, obviously, because there's the lockdown and, and that's just, you know, there's a lot to be seen still, but I totally agree. Absolutely. And our hope here locally is that, you know, if there is some kind of a uh, economic setback that that helps, you know, reinforce our area economically with an influx of, of folks. Okay. So if, so if there is a downturn, you guys might be hopeful that, uh, you know, 10,000 people decide they want to move there, which would then negate a lot of downturn. Is that what you're saying? I think it could. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. You know, we spent some time in Bend, Oregon, and I think it's about that 100K, mm -hmm. you know, about 100,000. And I can kind of see that. It's just really a nice, comfortable size. You know, you've got all the amenities you need, but you also don't have a lot of issues that come with larger metro areas. So I'm just, I'm just curious, any other, and again, we're real early in this, so it's kind of hard to make predictions, but just at a macro level, I'm kind of asking this of a lot of people, TJ, any other trends or things that you might be seeing with all this going on, especially, I didn't know your wife had a background as, as a nurse. You're obviously in employment. You guys are well positioned to maybe really share some wisdom with people. Yeah. So one of the, I mean, obviously you pointed out the remote work and that's, that's kind of been seen by everybody, but I would also point out that um, companies are realizing and, and customers, everybody's realizing the, the value of relationships and alliances. And that's one of the really encouraging things that we've seen as our client, everybody is struggling to get through this and figure out on a day-by-day -day basis what is coming at us. And 
we've seen a tremendous outpouring of flexibility and compassion and encouragement for one another. And, you know, we've, we're, we're always talking about the new normal, and this is a great element of the new normal I hope exists, is, is we just keep doing that, right? Because before this, it's just easy to get sucked into the daily grind and you're worried about your objectives. And this has really been an opportunity to, to show all of our relationships how much they mean to us, whether it's a commercial or a personal relationship. Um, they're still really important. And how can we help? Right. That's the that's the mindset we're seeing from a lot of these companies. And that should continue. Yeah, that's good. All right. So from a practical standpoint, TJ, what does that look like? What are you guys doing? Because there are some companies out there. I mean, I'm sure you were this way, you know, two days into this, two weeks into it, I'm getting emails from every airline. I'm getting emails from places I bought shoes from, places I bought underwear from, and they're saying that they're with me through this process. <laughs> and I'm going, what does that mean? What does that look like? And I know some things that I'm doing. I mean, I'm reaching out to, you know, current clients, past clients, and just saying, hey, how you doing? You know, can we jump on a call? But what does that look like from a practical standpoint for you guys? Because I think a lot of people need some guidance there. Absolutely. So, Obviously, maybe 75% of our searches have been put on hold as people are trying to figure out what's going on. And I understand this. I even support this. Don't make big decisions in, in the midst of chaos. Um, so what do we do, right? So this has been a great opportunity for us to invent new ways to serve our relationships and develop new relationships through bringing other levels of experience to bear. So we're offering interview coaching for both candidates and clients. That's been a new service where before we've really been focusing on the placement aspect of it. Uh, but, but trying to find ways to bring more value to the hiring process through the coaching, through helping clients think through what's the pro what is the process of writing a, a, a good job description, one that's functionally useful in describing the role, but also attractive because a lot of job descriptions are rather bland and some of them are actually quite grim you know, about the expectations and the standards. And, you know, it sounds like, wow, this must be an arduous place to work at. And so now, you know, it's a great time to, to work on those things. We have, we have a wonderful opportunity. That's the silver lining for us is it, it, the pressure has just made us so much more creative. Like I honestly am, am grateful for that. And I'm trying to squeeze along with our team, every bit of creativity that we can out of ourselves from all of this pressure that we're under. It's making us better leaders, better servants. Yeah, all of that's good. And and what I want to do is maybe as we move to the end of the podcast, I'm actually ask, going to ask you some specific things about, uh, you know, um, virtual interviews and, and, and the resume and, and maybe what, what are some tips you have for businesses? What are you tips for you have for, for individuals and, and maybe even individuals that have been rocked 
in such a way that they've lost their position and because unemployment as we speak is just going through the roof and understandable with what's going on. But before, but I, I'm going to kind of push that to the end of the podcast because I want to circle back and just ask about some kind of cool stuff and, and, and maybe lighten it a little bit. Right. Uh, there's some, there's some things that you, uh, that you mentioned that were also intriguing to me, not just the Idaho piece. And that is adventure motorcycle photography and autocross do i know what autocross is tell me what autocross is so autocross is when um, a bunch of car nuts go to a big parking lot or a runway and instead of racing around on a racetrack you put out a bunch of cones you build sort of a track so to speak and you you drive like a you get to drive like a maniac around these cones as fast as you want as fast as possible. Right. And so it's a race every setting times. And, and it's a, it's a really, and I would encourage if you're listening to this and you like driving and you, maybe you don't have a sports car or whatever, it doesn't matter. Like you can go do autocross and learn how to drive your car aggressively in an incredibly safe and inexpensive way. So this is not the mm. racetrack. You rarely go over 60 miles an hour, but the precision that's required to drive as fast as possible around these cones is actually astonishing how much you learn about car control. And I happen to really love driving. I don't want to, you know, end up balling up my car at a racetrack and getting hurt. So this is a really wonderful way to, to enjoy that develop skills. You know, there's a lot of really neat people out there who are on the same journey and it's a lot of fun. So, so, so is it a competition? Do you yep. compete? Is it timed and, you know, don't hit the cone? Exactly. So you get a, you get a penalty for hitting the cone and it's all timed and you've got certain classes, you know, so cars are competing with roughly the same type of car and it's, it's, you know, you might think like, oh, my car's not cool enough. Right. And there's going to be some guy there with a Lambo who is just going to smoke everybody. And that's not how it goes, right? That guy shows up and he gets smoked by the kid in the Honda Civic who's been doing this for five years. And I'm not even I was kidding. about to say, I was about to say, what about a Honda Civic? I, my daughter has one. I've been a Honda driver for years. So show up in my little Honda Civic and I can, I can maneuver it and beat the guy in the Lamborghini. I would absolutely believe it. Now, your first time out, don't plan on it, right? Uh, there's a lot to learn. I mean, it's, you do it for a year and you start to kind of figure out how to really push the car to the limit, but where else do you get to do that? Right. I mean, it's totally irresponsible to do that on the road. So it's, it's a lot of fun. So what's your car, man? You have like a, you, you've got something you can tell us about. I have a 2008, uh, beautiful silver little Porsche Cayman. Uh, I'll, oh. I'll send you a picture of it just to, so you can put it up on the screen if people don't know what that is. Um, sure. It's a baby Porsche. It's not an expensive car used. Uh, it's a it's a great sports car. Uh, not fast. 245 horsepower, um, which is plenty fast enough to get you in trouble. But uh, it's nothing like a like what people think of when they think of like a really fairly fast car. Right. Um, but that's the cool thing about autocross is the guys with the really fast, powerful cars actually have a lot to manage as they're trying to get all of this hustled around these cones it's very easy to actually go much lot slower because your your car is so much more capable ironically yeah. and that's the cool paradox about it is a great driver is what makes the difference 
So that so it it seems like that might be a little bit of an adrenaline thing, but not totally because there's some precision and because I looked at your you know you've also got adventure motorcycle. So are you are you an adrenaline guy or are you a precision guy or a little bit of both? Because I mean, if you want to go fast, there's other ways of getting out and doing that, right? Yeah, I I think I am a little bit of an adrenaline guy. In fact, I'm probably shifting a little bit away from the motorcycle now that my son is turning one and going through that whole stage of just being like, you know, this is a little bit more risk than I really want to take on. The wife likes me, you know, enclosed in a car. And I think that's that's wise as well. Um, I enjoy I enjoy operating things. I, I enjoy aviation, cars, motorcycles. I ran equipment in construction, you know, for a for a while in my earlier days and it's just, I don't know. There's something about that that appeals to my wiring for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> so you, so you now, so is, so are any of those hobbies changing now that you've got a, a son and a family growing? It sounds like maybe the uh, risk assessment is becoming yep. more critical. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just in general, you realize you're not invincible and like, this is how people become, you know, quadriplegics by being stupid. <laughs> I don't want that to happen. Right. So yeah, I had a, I had a friend, had a friend years ago. It was probably 15 plus years ago, very successful business guy that liked to get on a road courses and race. And a mm -hmm. lot of these were, you know, convertibles and, and, you know, sad story. He, he had a thriving company, lost his life in an accident. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, the company was in disarray, had a lot of employees and also, yeah, it is this kind of fine balance between, you know, feeding the need for a little bit of an adventure, which I think we all have some of that. And uh, and then also, you know, being responsible husband, parent, you, you head up a business, too. You've got people mm -hmm. that count on you, right? Totally. Yep. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I wouldn't I wouldn't try to set that metric for anybody else, but I'm. I don't, I think some people resent losing that freedom. I don't at all. I think this is just another stage of life where, hey, it's time to step up my level of risk management. More people are relying on me. I've got that out of my system. And yeah. I mean, by God's grace, didn't get hurt in the process. Even though you look back and you're just like, wow, you know, you just, you look back with different eyes and you realize I could have, could have done something horrible, hurt somebody else. Yeah, it could have been bad. Yeah. And, you know, we kind of from a from a just a whole spiritual and everything standpoint, we realize that as you know, it's a shame sometimes we don't recognize it as a spouse, you know, like a husband or wife. Actually, women are wiser about that stuff. I think we could both admit that. Um, but then all of a sudden, you know, we get a child and it's kind of game changer, isn't it? Mm. Yep. Absolutely. So you got what well, you got about a one year old. How's that changed things around the, the house yeah. and the family? You guys doing OK or. Yeah, no, it's been great. I I am thankful to be able to work from home. I mean, obviously, there's there's a lot of challenges. Right. But every challenge is an opportunity. It's always a silver lining. It's always how you take it perspective wise. And I, I got to see my son's first steps and I get to hang out with him every day and I get to spend you know, time with my wife that I, I wouldn't otherwise. And I, I treasure that. Um, 
And so do I miss other relationships and, and seeing my team? Absolutely. But once again, going back to seasons, you know, like, I don't know, it, it just seems more important to be focused on what we can be grateful for than what we're missing out on because there's always, you're always missing out on something, right? It's just, yeah, yeah. it's a never ending process. <laughs> sure, sure. That's good. So, you know, there was something that popped up when I was just kind of snooping around and, and looking at, you know, who TJ is. I do a little bit of research on people and, and there's this, there's this leather goods that, that kind of popped up and it looked like you're involved with a few companies and then maybe sold one. And I'm sitting here, I'm trying to, I, I kind of try to find out what makes people tick and, and I'm going, wait, all right. So, you know, employment business and working with businesses, working with individuals and then leather goods. What's up with that? <laughs> so bestleather.org still around. Um, it's been sold to another individual who's doing a great job with it, but that was my formative business experience and really where I developed a little bit of confidence around what I could contribute to other people. And I was a, a, a pretty poor kid at that time. And I think I, later on, retrospectively, I tallied up kind of what we were able to review and interact with that process. It was like 150 or so thousand in leather goods. And the, the purpose, I'll tell you how I got started. If you want, do you want to hear the story? Yeah. Are you, are you, uh, I guess one thing I want to know, were you into leather goods or was it just a business review. or a hobby? What? It was, okay. it was absolutely a business. I mean, I made a solid three, four bucks an hour, I think doing it. Uh, once you figure it out, right. It was college, right. I mean, it was, it okay. was, it was my college business education. And uh, I had a friend who I greatly respected who bought a $700 leather backpack and I made merciless fun of him. But I also knew this guy's actually really smart. So when I got done making fun of him, I went and researched it and I totally got hooked myself because I realized this is a lifetime item. You'll, you, it'll last you forever, literally, almost literally. You'll be able to give it to your kids. You'll, it'll wear with you. It looks better with age. Um, and I, I actually don't think that they're that expensive once you factor in those value propositions. And I realized that there's something that we've lost in America, which is the appreciation of quality. And we've moved in, in, and in some sense is a really good way, but towards mechanization and industrialization. And in the last 10, 15 years, we've really seen a re renaissance of the artisan craftsmen making things. And there being a, a pretty large market for appreciation of those goods. And I was privileged to be a part of, of exposing people to what this world is and why you would actually want to spend significantly more on this bag than a nylon briefcase or a backpack or something that you're going to throw away in a few years. Yeah, that's cool. So you, um, so you worked with that business and then sold it and moved on. I always like to ask this question. You might hear it a couple more times during this, but in that experience, what were some things that you gained from a positive and then maybe something that would have been, I don't know, negative or, you know what, I don't want to do that again. Didn't like that. A couple of learning points that you pulled from that. I think, I think we're, we're a sum total of all of our experiences. So share with us. Yeah. The first thing was to just keep pushing the ball uphill because hmm. 
while I was operating it, it was successful by my standards and popular and it got a lot of hits and I developed a lot of relationships and I had a sense of success, but in some commercial, like some commercial standards, it wasn't economically viable. A lot of people would have walked away, but, and a friend actually asked me at one point, why do you keep doing this? And I just said, I don't know. Like, I'm just, I can see this is doing something good in me, the process of investing in this business and what it makes me learn, what it makes me do. So I'm just going to keep doing it. And I developed an unbelievable relationships through it. It opened up the door to Marlando Leather, which is the other leather business I was involved in. But I was more of a silent partner in that relationship. And through the other relationships I developed, I was able to bring some people together and um, benefit from that relationship, which I wouldn't have done if I would have walked away from Best Leather. I think I would have lost a lot. And so when I say push the ball uphill, there's this story, this Greek story of Sisyphus. Are you familiar with Sisyphus? I so think he, I've heard that, but go ahead and share with us. I think it'll be beneficial. So he made a God mad as all the stories go. And he had to push the ball uphill to no end. Like there, it was just constantly pushing the ball uphill. And the curse is intended to afflict him with a, a trial that he'll never complete. There's no satisfaction in it. And a, and a philosopher, I think it might've been, Kierkegaard, I don't remember, I need to look it up, but he said that this was actually not an effective curse because you don't need to win to be satisfied in your labor and your work. And, and I wasn't seeing a win from Best Leather, but I was realizing like, I just need to keep doing this. So that became my mantra, just keep pushing the ball uphill. And it is to this day, you know, if somebody asked me how it's going, it's just pushing the ball uphill, right? Yeah. and enjoying the the struggle and the process and it's heavy and i'm tired and and that's just part of it right yeah yeah um, part of the journey which is good you know it reminds me tj i actually have recently and this is kind of my spiritual walk and i know you've got a good strong spiritual background so you can maybe relate to this i have done a lot of things that the world would look at and say wow that was really really successful and then there's some things that we've done that people would look at it and go, you know, that wasn't that great. I mean, we've had companies that, you know, bankruptcies, all the all those ugly stuff. And in some of my quiet time, just prayer time, I'll be asking the Lord. I'll say, Lord, what's up with that? What's up with that time I did that? And I feel as if the response has been, it kind of relates to what you're saying. Maybe this is helping it, helping it out is I kind of feel like the Lord said there is nothing that you have not done, and he really used the term we, that we haven't done, that we're not going to use in the future to advance the kingdom. And, and you know, it's like, I don't know if that's just maybe making me feel better about some of the stuff, stuff I've done, good, bad, ugly, you know, but, but to me, that is the attitude for what we do in life. And it sounds like that's kind of what you've taken away from, from that business. I just want to ask about it because I thought it sounded cool and I've never had it on anybody I've talked about. So thanks for sharing that. What you just said, and I agree that it really coincides with James chapter one, you know, where he talks about um, to have joy in trials because the point of the trial that, that God gives us is for our perfection and to, to persevere in these trials, because through these trials, we are continuously refined. And that's just an important thing for any person to, to recognize, especially in this day of, of 
social media and business where you look at all these people and the exterior, the facade is extreme success everywhere you go, right? And all these thought leaders and but the actual reality that that truly successful people experience is one of deep valleys and bitter disappointments and discouragement. And that I was thinking about an analogy with that to music and you can't really play music without minor keys and, and all of this music composed together can make a be very beautiful melody. So we got to, we have to embrace it and be thankful for it. It's an opportunity for growth. You're not going to grow any, any other way. We don't grow without pain and it's an opportunity. Yeah. I think a great follow-up question that you just kind of opened up the door for me. So I'm going to go there is how do we define success, especially in our first world uh, Americanized or first world culture? I, I think some of that might start changing with the current times that we're in, mm -hmm. but I'm going to kind of throw it, throw it at you because I've had to really analyze how I define success, you know, being at one point in a 6,000 square foot home, country club, community, holes of golf, and and then losing all that, being homeless for a season and being restored, but we still live in an RV and we're just low overhead. But I'll just kind of throw it to you. In, in what ways do you, I know you're a follower of Christ and, and you've got a spiritual foundation in all that you do. And, and so how do you define success? So you could go into tough, new... que tough question, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love it though. That's the, the tough questions are the ones worth thinking about. What is that? Who says that the unconsidered life is not worth living? Um, yes. So you could define success in a number of different parameters, business life. I, I would say that from the big picture, I'd say success will be in eternity to be recognized by God for for loving God and loving others as myself. And that, ex that extends and then has nuances into all these different elements of life, family and business and friendships. And, uh, but the common theme through them is to be a servant. And I like where you went, where we were talking before about being a steward of what God has given you. Uh, I, I, agree a hundred percent and I'll spend time to contemplate what you shared because I have a family to steward. I have a business to steward. I have relationships to steward and I want to, it's not just about getting more out of those for me. It's, it's, I want to get more because I'm helping them get more. Um, and that whole servant leadership, there's a, there's a little bit of a tricky paradox where you set out to be a leader and you want to be a servant and you want to be humble and you have to be humble. Like you can't be a leader without those things, I believe. But if you feel successful in those things, if you compliment yourself, it's, it's a, it's like, I'm not sure you should ever do that. It's a little bit like saying you're humble, right? It's like, um, Pride comes before the fall, right? So <laughs> I am I am really, really good at being a servant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like I'm uh, the best servant there is. <laughs> right. So a little bit of self-skepticism in in that I think is is pretty healthy. Um, but back to the time to answer the, the big question, it's you know, to to love God and love and because I love God, to love others as myself. 
um, I'm good at prioritizing myself and I always need continuous refinement to love other people more effectively, more competently, more authentically. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And that's a commandment. That's one of our, you know, new covenant commandments that we have, which, which is, you know, love God, love others, love ourselves. So that's excellent. I do want to kind of maybe mention for those listening, you and I had a discussion about leadership right before we turned on the mic. And we were talking about servant and and stewardship. And I referenced season three of the podcast, which is all about the ultimate leader. So I just want to mention that for the listener. If you want to dive into that more, our discussion, go back and listen to the ultimate leader season three that we have on the podcast. So, and, and, you know, the thing you brought up is the thing that I've really wrestled with after going through business failure, after being extremely successful in the world's eyes financially, and then having less than finances, I've really had to work through defining success. And to me, that's something that in the times that we're in, I encourage people to meditate and spend quiet time with the Lord in prayer, journaling, whatever it is that they do to really ask that question because of the culture that all of us have grown up in. We have a tendency to allow our bank accounts, our possessions, material things, our jobs, exterior things, not heart items to determine success. And maybe I'm getting mature. I'm, I'm, I'm a good bit, I think more mature, older than you are, but I'm 56. I'm now a grandfather. So I've got a 10 week old grandchild. Maybe, maybe I'm beginning to just get a little more philosophical there, but, but I think that defining success is an important thing for us to do. I'm going to, I'm going to follow that up as, as someone who's a follower. I like to ask this question and that is how do you reconcile money, business, your faith, <laughs> biblical principles, and I'll, I'm going to throw in a word that might exacerbate you a little bit, but being a headhunter, <laughs> we're going to talk more about that in a bit, but how do you reconcile that? There's some people that really struggle with putting all those pieces together in one physical body. Amen. Yeah. And I think we should. I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard to, because there's so many, my heart is uh, tricky right? And my motivations are tricky, even to know myself. And so I think we should struggle with those things. How do I reconcile them? At the end of the day, whether or not my business is successful um, is something that I'm responsible for. But I also recognize that, um, you know, unless the Lord wills it, the labors labor in vain to build the house. And so Ultimately, my success or failure is going to come down to the king. And if the king wills that I experience failure, um, then I will do so with a humble heart, in theory. Um, I think the actual reality of saying that, saying that the actual experiencing the reality can be, can be different. But, um, but the theory is humility in all situations and gratitude in all situations and understanding, I mean, now is a great time to, to realize this is just this virus has really woken us up to how fragile everything is. And you can have these, these pillars of business, which before pandemic, everybody says, well, like, what could possibly take them down? They're smart, they're innovative, great leadership. Um, 
you know, all these great things about them. And then a pandemic comes in and just levels industries, right? I mean, who could have seen that yeah. coming? And so, so how do I reconcile these things? Well, maybe I don't, maybe I subordinate them. I, you know, I don't want to be the man who, who trades his soul for the world. And my business is not as important as my soul. And if it comes to that, then I know which, which direction I'm choosing. Um, but while I'm running my business and I, I seek to be a steward, I seek to be uh, responsible and to be a great leader, to be in a, a model of a servant and to live out my, my Christian ideals in the service of my candidates and my clients and my employees and our vendor partner relationships um, and to model love in all of those. I think that's at the end of the day, the opportunity for a business person is to show that the dollar is not ultimate. Love is ultimate. And yeah. if I have to choose between the two, I'm going to choose love. Yeah, that's awesome. And so critical in your business. You know, the the scripture that popped to my mind as you were talking is kind of one of my foundational scriptures, Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You brought up something about uh, the structures of the world. I use a term called the Babylonian system, and it is so unique in that we have seen all of those things, that last part of Matthew 6, 33, idols of the world quieted and stilled during this time. I mean, let's recap sports. Had we talked 60 days ago and said that they're not going to have the final four Sweet 16 basketball, baseball mm -hmm. is shut down. Uh, you know, the NFL is doing a virtual whatever draft and they're talking about football seasons may not. I mean, all of even even churches. I mean, to me, sometimes religion is an idol. I mean, I'm not talking about the big C church. I'm talking about religion in the buildings. Mm -hmm. And all of those things are quiet. So this is kind of a, a preaching message for me that you can share. I believe that the Lord has shown me that there's only two choices right now. His kingdom and other stuff, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. And so people are now being quieted, the ones that want to, to be stilled. And all of those things are there. So anyway, that, that is that is awesome stuff. I appreciate you sharing that. And the biggest thing that you brought up that I want us to kind of keep going into, because I want us to start talking about Ambassador Search Group, is you brought up love and your business is people. And to me, the biggest thing we're commanded to do is love people. So how have you brought that into Ambassador Search Group? And I, you could talk about it generally, or you could talk about specific and practically. I'd love to hear that too. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I don't, I've never talked explicitly on it. So I, I apologize if I meander a little bit or no, monologue go. a little bit as I think out loud, but at its core, love, my definition of love is to seek the best for other people. And that doesn't mean in just maybe it may, it may mean a hard conversation. It may mean discipline. It may mean accountability, but it comes from a heart that is not vindictive or judgmental or selfish. It comes from a heart of care and compassion and grace and mercy, the same attributes which God through Christ has demonstrated to me, right? And 
I think all these things have a very key um, execution in our business lives because there are the business world is a world of complex alignments of interests, right? And and you might think of like um, metal shavings on a on a on a on a plane, and all these metal shavings are pointed in different directions. And good good service, loving service, is busy aligning those interests so that we can be uh, productive. We can help each other achieve each other's goals and when it comes to my my clients, what does that mean? What, well, that means I want to listen very carefully to their objectives. I want to understand. I want to challenge, if necessary, uh, maybe a, a, a conception that they have about hiring or why they need this role or what have you to further refine the idea. And in the execution of the search, we want to be extremely diligent. Uh, we make a tremendous number of calls and, and outreaches in our work. Um, we're very heavy on the phone. We're not very interested in, in advertising. Uh, it just, it, it really doesn't seem to work for attracting that five to 10% top tier candidate. You have to go out and develop a relationship. You have to be an ambassador and we get busy being very, very aggressive about that and go out with, um, a company and it has to be a company that we're proud to represent because you can't. You don't want to go through this amount of labor for a company that that doesn't have the right heart towards people. And so we work really hard in that process. And then we we vet carefully for um, you said matchmaking. It really is matchmaking, but maybe not in the way that you might think. I think a lot of people think recruiters, they look at they look at sort of these these vague cultural interests and they find alignments there. What we look for is alignments and motivation and out, like outlook. Like, how does this person think? And if we see alignments and how this person thinks dynamically with our client, then they should talk, right? Because even if there's maybe not exactly perfect skill set alignment, the skill set part is the easy part. It's the it's the commitment, the respect, the communication style, the objectives that really make for really good long-term business relationships, employer, employee, all that. Um, so that's the, the client side. On the candidate side, we, we want to spend a lot of time to understand how to best serve each candidate. And oftentimes that means we're not moving forward, even though you know we have a commercial interest in moving um, hiring relationships forward, we want to do it only in a way which serves the interests of both parties equally. So my client may pay the fee for our services, but that doesn't make the candidate any less a client because to do a good job for my client, I have to serve my candidate to my utmost degree. So we see ourselves as having a fiduciary responsibility to both parties, even though there's only a commercial relationship with one. And that's something that we're actually working on trying to make more explicit to candidates because there's, there's, there's recruiters out there with, that don't have that perspective. And there's some very fair stigmas about recruiters and how they operate. And we want to be very careful to, um, to ensure we differentiate in expect, how we set expectations with everybody of here's what our objective is. And sometimes that means we recommend to a client or to a candidate that they don't take the job or they don't offer the job and not that's 
100% not in our commercial interest, at least in the short term, right? Now, right. it is absolutely in our commercial interest in the long term because it builds trust. And when I say, when I say something, it, it's meaningful because my client has seen me over and over again put their interest ahead of my own. Um, and so in, in doing so, you know, we don't, we don't call it love in these relationships, uh, but it is, that's what love is. Right. And the same thing with the candidates. And, and then when it comes to employees, it's not honestly that much different, right? Cause employees each come to a job with different objectives and different personalities, different um, you, you develop such an intimate relationship and that is a privilege as an owner to hear, people are entrusting their careers to you, to me. And I, I find a, a, that's a beautiful privilege to invest in these people to, to enhance their growth. And I think that's oftentimes that means that someday they leave you to go do something else. And, and so we have a concept of alumni in our company, which is to embrace the fact that not everybody is going to be a lifetime employee and that's okay. And we are going to send that person off in love for them to go be successful. We're going to cheer them on. We're going to encourage them. We're going to go hang out with them. Uh, they're welcome. I'm going to write them, write them a letter of recommendation. And once again, that's not necessarily in my commercial interest. It takes right. one to three years to train a recruiter. And yeah. my firm is three years old. Turnover sure. is extremely expensive. So you're just getting you're just getting into a lot of the long-term relationships you're going to have. I want to I want to ask one thing though that kind of jumped out at me, and then I'm gonna I want to redirect slightly because I want you to address the industry. I've got some good friends in the industry, and there are a lot of there's some scammy reputations for some folks and I'm going to, I'm going to point blank ask you to address that and then talk about it. But there was, there was one thing that you brought up that I thought was really cool. You said, you know, a lot of people say if they've got a client or someone they work with that, you know, the client's always right. But one of the things you brought up in love, many times that's correction. And what I, I heard from that, and tell me if I'm right or wrong on this, was that is going to, you know, the owner of the company or the or the business and saying, this job description stinks. I mean, it is not well written. It's not going to get you the person you want. It's not a good match. Or, you know, on the flip side, going to Joe or Sally looking for a job and say, your resume sucks. We got to do something here. You know, you know, we need to work on showing yourself in a little bit different light. I mean, am I, is that kind of what I'm hearing you say? I mean, y'all, you may not use my language. Sorry, it's a little bit, but, but I mean, you're, you're kind of in partnership that you are wanting to in love, obviously with grace, but tell people what they need to hear, not just give them fluff. Right. Absolutely. Um, if you're not willing to tell people what they need to hear, and I mean that from a, from a position of competency and authority, because a lot of times don't come from a place of anger or disappointment in that conversation by any means, but come from it from a position of optimism and respect and hope for this person or company or whatever it is, their objective is to move things forward in a productive way. If you approach that with, here's an opportunity of how we can do that, then they see you as a partner in their journey as we all are. And we can be 
we, our businesses can be friends in this journey as as we have our own personal friendships which encourage us our businesses can be mutually encouraging and edifying to one another and highlighting because we do this day in and day out we do see things that that somebody who's focused on solving a different problem are not going to see and that's absolutely mm-hmm. our responsibility to address that in a persuasive manner Okay. All right. So what I want to, what I want to do, and and this is a little bit of a rapid fire, but I want you to respond to me when I say, oh, you're a headhunter. Oh, you're in the employment business, man. Those those people, they rip people off. It's kind of scammy. You know, they just churn and burn. They're looking to make the quick fees and move on. I mean, I'm hitting you with some, I've been in business for a long time, so I'm hitting you with some. So, so what I'd love for you to do is just kind of short, concise, respond to me on some of those things that you know there's some people that have that perception of your industry yeah absolutely so to all of those i would apologize um i'd apologize for our industry and i recognize that this is it, it and it's not just recruiting it's sales in general you see this these issues but in recruiting, it's particularly impactful because it's not just a car or a house or a thing. It's it's your life. And this has, every job change has a life impact. It has a good or bad boss who inspires you or or burdens you and a commute and a, and a it What we do can totally launch people or done improperly can... Um, can trip people or companies too, right? And I think that is a an immense responsibility. And to the people who have been burned by an improper alignment of interests, I think there's nothing else, nothing other to do, at least in the beginning, than to apologize. And and how do you fix? I don't think there's a way to fix the problem necessarily in the industry. People are going to do what people are going to do. And if they have different perspectives on these things, but what we want to do is give people a radically different experience. And I'll just a quick story. We had a candidate not get the job yesterday who we really appreciate salt of the earth. I'd go get a beer with this gentleman any day and he could teach me a lot. Didn't get the job. It wouldn't have been right. He wasn't yet quite prepared for this job. And he said, you know, I really feel like you guys have my back and you didn't operate in your best interest. You operated in mine. And we did. We went to bat for this candidate in various ways. But in the end, I agreed with the client that he's not the right fit. And that our, so he lost the job and we, we had to call him and explain this to him. And it's not out of um, any lack of respect from the, from the client. Um, but we go back to square one on that search as well. So this gentleman, you know, is the product of maybe a thousand calls and hundreds of hours of time on the phone, talking to people, sorting through things. We've spent a lot of time with this gentleman. It's been a month and a half process. And we go back to square one. That from a character standpoint can be very difficult to do. And that's, that's where a recruiter really can fail. Everybody is when they have this pressure to make a commission, to make a sale. And, um, sometimes those issues are fuzzy, right? Cause I could make an argument of why the client should hire this person. I, I can put that pressure on and you can't exactly tell me that I'm 
that I'm not operating in the client's best interest, like that character, that decision has to come from within. It, you can't have an external level of accountability for that. It can be a very gray area. And, 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 you know, let's throw in, we're in a very interesting economy. So, you know, how many other opportunities may come across, you know, this guy's desk, you know, something that I saw on your website, I think I saw this word at least once and it always jumps out at me when I see it and it's the word integrity. And is that what you're talking about? You just mentioned character, integrity is, is that, and, and listen, sometimes I look at the word, I'm a marketing guy too, and I'm going, you know, that's just kind of marketing. But when I hear dialogue, like what you're saying to me, there's something deeper there. Talk a minute about integrity. Integrity is the foundation of trust and the trust is the foundation of a relationship. And if you are busy doing something meaningful for the world, you're going to need relationships. You're going to need allies. You, you need customers, you need clients, you need friends, you, you all these things. And if you don't start with integrity and, or to the extent on which you're willing to compromise your integrity to achieve some sort of, some sort of short term gain, you are uh, limiting the impact that you can have through that. Um, and I think you see companies achieve some level of short-term sex success, but then they, they turn into an Enron and that kind of leadership, um, is absolutely toxic, you know? And I think we got a leadership crisis in America, in the political system, in business, in our families, where leadership is seen as power and authority. And it's not seen as responsibility or humility. And if, if we can affect a, a shift in our belief system around leadership, America will be an incredible place to live for a long time to come. And if we don't, um, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot harder. Yeah. I think uh, one of the words I keep hearing thrown around about the time we're in is the great reset. It's going to be a reset. And to me, leadership. I, I, I am, I don't think I'm overly optimistic on this TJ, but leadership is something that will be reset and changed. We will see people rise up that are different than some of the leaders we see now. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited about that. I think it's mm -hmm. some of the things we've been conversing about here. So, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to move into some specific items for both businesses and people that maybe maybe in the times that we we are going to see and and see if I can get some real tips in, in teaching and training from you because it's I think it's going to be important for people to be able to get some of the information and I, I guess first thing in general I want to ask you and maybe if you've been in the industry for three years this may or, or may not be something you could really address but what does helping people get jobs and businesses get people, what does that look like when employment is 0%, 3% like we just recently saw it? And what does it look like, and this is a little bit of a projection for you, when it's 30%, 25%, we're not sure where it's going to settle in. I'm concerned that we could see close to 30% roughly unemployment in the net. You may have different thoughts on that, but it looks like our trends are moving in that rapidly if we don't get 
things fully open and I don't think we're going to fully open for some time. So what are your thoughts? I mean, just in general, what does it look like to match people up with jobs and businesses, uh, you know, two months ago? And what are you thinking it's going to look like in the next two, four, six months? So there's opportunity in both occasions to be a servant. The opportunity in the low employment, the low unemployment market is um, there's a tremendous amount of outreach that needs to be done to develop these relationships, to introduce the right opportunities and manage the process of the right companies wooing the right, the right candidates. And that's extremely challenging. It's hyper competitive and it has its own set of frustrations for everybody involved. Um, it's expensive, it's, it's competitive, all those things. On the high inflation market, there's actually a very good reason to, for us to be very optimistic on, on how we can benefit our clients. And that is the good, the good firms are not going away and there's gonna be an opportunity to what, what's called top grade, people who perhaps are lower performers who were able to skate by in a, in a low unemployment market because you just need people, you need bodies, you're willing to tolerate lower performance. Well, that's not gonna be the case. And it's not the case now, right? Those are the people who, um, well, not entirely, but, but many of those people have been laid off at this point, right? It's like um, the, the, their contribution has come to an end and there's going to be an opportunity for companies that are still going to grow, which there are, to to upgrade the quality of their talent. Now, why would they need a recruiter for this? Is when there's 30% unemployment, you are going to get covered in resumes and mm -hmm. applications and interest, and everybody is going to be pitching and selling and desperate, and and you need a team of people who is really good at parsing noise from value and and we can help companies do that we can apply the same discriminating process in the good mar good market in the bad market because in the bad market you want to be careful about your cash flow your cash outlay specifically right um, but you really need good leadership you need great sales you need great execution and for companies to take their eye off that through a bad market is much more limiting than uh, to just save the money and just not hire anybody. Um, right. also, a lot of internal recruiting teams have been let go. Having a recruiter on standby who you can where you can turn on the spigot and turn it off, you know, situationally is is important. So we're almost, I mean, we're almost flipping supply demand to use a business term, and so you really are are facilitating that flip is almost, I don't know if I said that right, but that seems to be that you guys are just inserting yourself in there to facilitate. And, and that's why it's important to be doing it with integrity and the love that we talked about. One thing, a few other questions here where I'm watching our time so that we don't press too much up against it, but what are from, from your seat, from what you see with people, what are some skill sets that are valuable all the time? And, and they go across all areas of, let's say, work, 
and 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 industries. Tell us some skill sets because I know there are people listening here going, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it needs? They might be questioning their roles. They might have lost their work. I know a lot of, I did something on my social media earlier asking who's working right now, who's not. And it was about a third, a third, a third. You know, some people oh. were shut down. Some people have lost. Yeah, it's really... It's really tough. Some of them are business owners. I interact with a lot of business owners. So, but, but talk, give us two, three, four skills that are always valuable. I would focus, you know, if you got a C programmer, it might be valuable to reinforce that skill, build the skill. That's great. But, but in terms of skill, skills that never go out of style or out of date or matter in any economy, I would say uh, servant leadership like having an intrinsic belief in the value of improving the condition of other people, no matter what the commercial relationship is or the give and take of that relationship, like, like we should always be on give mode period. Right. And who doesn't want to hire that person? I mean, I I bet you a hundred percent of the companies in, America or in the world. Yeah. And, and, and what would the person. world be like? What would the world be like if we had more givers than takers? You know, a lot of people there in the take mode, you know, that kind of goes back to some of the things we mentioned earlier. That's good. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So, so servant leadership, be a giver, um, communication skills. That's just an endless world of collaborate, building collaborative, uh, problem solving skills, Socratic skills, there are so many problems where we need to stop having all the answers and we need to start asking more questions and somebody who can ask questions without knowing the answer is a really valuable individual. Somebody who can suspend their, the urgency to just to, to say something, to come to an answer, to believe something, um, be curious, you know, and there's a great quote, I'm going to butcher it, but, but it's good. It's good for everybody to hear it, which is uh, trade your certainty for confusion. I, I just, I think that's great. I think we need to be more, con- we need to recognize that we're more confused. It's not that we are actually certain. It's that we, we harbor, we find this sense of harbor or safety in being certain about something. And there's another great quote I just read last night, which is the only people that are certain are the people who know literally everything about something or literally nothing about something. And there's probably more people in the know nothing category, you know, around on that one. Right. Yeah. There, there is so much, there's so many experts out there right now. Mm -hmm. I have to be careful. Sometimes I could step into that knowing things. And I think what you're saying, it kind of goes back to a word you used a lot earlier, which is humility. And that's, that is basically admitting that. And in the culture and environment we're in right now, (laughs) we know very little. I mean, there's not a lot of absolutes that we're all dealing with right now. Would you agree? No, I mean, my, my business circumstances are changing on a weekly and often daily basis. So my outlook and the strategy, and um, there's been a lot of late nights taking walks to think about the implications of these things. And that's, so that's for a leader, that's really something to, to lean into. And this time is, being comfortable in the ambiguity because nobody has any answers. I've been called by clients that are the imminent top of their field. And they're, they've got this idea for a strategy. They want to talk through it. And the fact of the matter is they don't know, nobody knows. 
Donald Trump doesn't know. And that's okay. You know, I mean, nobody really knows the future. Just get used to it and, and learn to lead in ambiguity. You said we're going to have a lot of leaders come out of this. And I 100% agree because leaders are really made in crisis. This is why you see people come out of the military who have experienced high pressure conditions. And lo and behold, they, they tend to be a more effective leader. And, you know, especially when we come out of a war, it's a refinement process. It really, it's going to thin the herd about people who are really committed to. They've, they've been through the people. trials and tribulations that That's you right. mentioned from, from the early part of James. So, all right, last few things I want to really do, because I want people to kind of have some takeaways, some real practical takeaways. After just saying that we don't know, I'm going to ask you, to tell us some things that you know. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to give, all right, here's what I, there, I think, I think I read an article on LinkedIn that, that people can try to get to where it, I think it was very current where you were pretty much given some do this and don't do this during this time. And I had already written these questions down, give us some tips for businesses and tips for individuals. And I think in that article, you divided it up between businesses, here's what to do, you know, keep your gears moving and a few things like that. And then with people, you know, develop new skills, don't binge Netflix, a few things like that. But take take a few minutes as we wrap up here. And then I've got a couple questions that we'll we'll use as as we finalize. Talk talk to business people. And, and you, I mean, you could almost re redo that article or other things. And then I want you to talk to individuals. And, and let's just also assume that many of them are struggling or that they may be struggling in the very near future, just as what we're seeing from the economy. And I'll, I'll, I'll share for myself, too, because these are ideals that, uh, that we all strive for. But uh, just because I say this doesn't mean I'm 100% I'm successful at achieving it. Um, so to business, as a recruiter, talking to a lot of these businesses, incredible firms, there's a really, if they've spent a lot of effort hiring the right people, building culture, involving those, engaging those people's minds and the problems that they solve, they are extremely reluctant to let those people go to save money. And the companies that are just slashing workforce, and I don't mean furlough with an expectation to bring people back. I mean, companies who are, who are just letting people go in this, it says something about their investment into their people, into their culture, where their real priorities are. And I don't mean to judge any specific company by any means, but um, there's a big, there's a, there's a difference here in leadership outlook and consider what it means to your people to, to be loyal to them. It's a two-way street, right? You want your people to be loyal to, the, to you, be loyal to them. And that doesn't mean that the business doesn't have to make sacrifices and that people also don't need to make sacrifices. We're in this together. Share the why of why we need to make this sacrifice collectively. And I know in my, my own company, I've seen an unbelievable step up in the creative work ethic of people just working on solving the problem with, with me and they don't have an ownership interest. They don't have to do that. And I'm grateful for them stepping up and contributing more. So, you know, re related to that, I'm interject real quick before you kind of move along to the people I have noticed, uh, I've had, have had clients, I've had people that I interact with. I, I guess 
we had almost, and I hate to generalize, we had almost gotten complacent and, and really, really comfortable. And in many ways, I am seeing, I am seeing some of the business owners I interact with, some of the, some of the people that, that were on my team. It is almost like, you know what? It's a wake up call. I was really being lethargic. I mean, literally I had some people I was interacting with that they were almost getting lethargic. We were getting in a groove and a rut. And then all of a sudden, bam, wake up call. And it sounds like you're saying that a little bit. If if I'm wrong, let me know. But it's almost like everybody, the the, the culture, companies, business, uh, you know, all these things. We were just getting comfortable, yeah. and and it, and as much as I know this is painful that we're all going through, I love the fact that many of us are no longer comfortable. Probably all of us, if there's someone mm -hmm. right now listening, they're comfortable. Mm -hmm. I'd like to have a chat with them and find out what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I bet uh, you're, you're not comfortable. You're not comfortable right now. Are you? No, no. I, I was up till two o'clock yesterday, this morning, you know, working on problems and, and I'm happy to do it. I, I don't resent that one little bit. Uh, I know that my own leadership is being refined in this process, and I'm thankful Did you, for it. Are you, are you counting it all joy? Was that what you're doing? Were you yeah, counting it all joy? Exactly, exactly. It's it's an opportunity. Um, yeah, that's good. All right, so that was business. Let's jump to people, and then a couple things, and we'll wrap up because I'm watching my time here. Okay, uh, so people um, be be productive. There's there's a lot of language out there about you know, time, time to take time for yourself and relax. And, and, and there's, it certainly isn't an admonishment to go be a workaholic, but commercially don't be slack because if we do have significant unemployment, it's going to be pretty ferocious for jobs and, and the government's not going to be able to just keep bailing us out. Like, like, Honestly, I, I believe it's the businesses that are going to pull us out of this 100%, right? The business owners, the managers need to figure out how to keep the gears moving so that people can contribute and um, succeed in their own paying their own mortgages. So enhance your ability to contribute. I mean, just read, read books, invest in your relationships. Um, you know, if you're, if you are laid off, I think it's a, a very wise idea to call your call your boss and ask them how you can help. Like maybe you don't get paid for it, but companies need problem solvers now more than ever. And if you're not a problem solver, there's a good chance you get left out in the cold. And that's I think the article you were referring to is don't lay down in the snow and die because you know the the, the visual is hypothermia and you lay down in the snow and and you're done for. Um, and economically, we just can't afford to do that. Yeah, that is, that's excellent. TJ, thank you so much. I'm sure there's so much more you can share. Um, do you guys, I mean, you guys work in, in a certain region. Do you guys, I guess I'm asking, can anybody get in touch with you? Can anybody reach out to you? Absolutely. Yeah, really? we, we are very interested in working with uh, people who value leadership. And that may be on a commercial level. It may not be. You know, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to meet you, Tim, because it's an opportunity to meet another leader and to be inspired and be given perspective. And and we all need those allies. And so if you're interested in reaching out and just talking or um, if there's something that we can help you with in your hiring, I would be really honored to 
have the opportunity to help. Sure. How can people connect with you? We'll include it in the notes, but for the person just listening to it verbally, tell us, you know, whatever website or, or number or email, whatever you want to share. And, and yeah. there'll be people that reach out. So get ready for that. Yeah. I'm tough to reach on the phone just because we're I'm so scheduled. Um, yeah. that's, so that's tough. But if you email me at TJ at ambassador group.com, I I've got, I'll respond. I've got a link in there. We can schedule time. And, you know, however we can help you, uh, you know, we'd be pleased to have the opportunity. Sure. So ambassadorgroup.com is at the website where they can go yep. and, Absolutely. and find out more. Good, good, yep. good, good. And, and gosh, Idaho that I need to, we need to point our, our RV up towards Idaho. When can I come? Do you have a big driveway? Do you have a, I have got a small um, driveway, but <laughs> there are, there <laughs> It is beautiful here. There's RV places everywhere, and cool. we've definitely right. got to go out and get coffee. Now, I'll show, I'll show you, you the right, town. I put you right on the spot there, didn't I? Say, what size is your driveway? Is it at least 40 feet long? Does yeah. it level? Do you, do you have a little bit of water, a little bit of electricity? So Yeah, 12 feet long and not level, unfortunately. Oh, man. Well, yeah. anyway, I love you anyway. So uh, anyway, all right. So so that's how people can connect with you. What's next for you? What's I mean, we're in this odd time, but... Just in general, specific, you know, short-term, long-term, what's next? We're going to keep loving people and we're going to keep inventing and reinventing and being creative about how we approach the recruiting problem and bringing more ways to bring value. And we, we ask our clients and candidates and other people if there's a way that we can be more creative on their behalf. You know, we want to know about those, those problems that we can help solve. And we're just going to keep pushing the ball uphill. Excellent. Excellent. Well, TJ, I appreciate you sharing and I appreciate your heart and I appreciate that the connection because we're really a pretty new connection. And that's one thing I love about the digital. There's so much to dislike about the digital world, but so many cool things is number one that just recently you and I could connect, I think on LinkedIn or something like that. And then having this deep, I, I think, powerful conversation that'll be a blessing to so many people uh, just like this, that this is the, this is the good stuff that's going on in the world. And I appreciate you. The title of our podcast is seek, go create. And what I like to do as a last question is ask which one of those words just kind of jumps inside you and why? I like that question. That's a, that's a really good question. I, I have to say seek because it's the first step in the process. And oftentimes if we, we know the right questions and we're asking the right questions, the go and create part kind of, kind of happens, right? Like if you add passion to the right questions, you're going to do some incredible stuff. And you've done that with your podcast, right? Uh, so it's a great title. And I would definitely encourage everybody to, to seek, look for the right questions and seek the kingdom. That's excellent. Yes. Yeah. You can tell that that came from Matthew 633 was a root for that. So yeah. TJ, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time and I actually could hear your son bumping around a little bit in the background. So for people, they, they were able to get a little bit of your one-year-old that's, that's doing that. So that's awesome. And I think that's cool. If you would like, if you're listening and you would like to continue this conversation, we welcome that and we encourage that. All you have to do is go to seekgocreate.com. That's seek, 
getgocreate.com and you could comment on this specific episode or you can go to the contact us section and send us an email. I, I really commit to, to if anyone has questions, follow up about specific episodes, like for TJ, you forget his email address, then if you will contact us on socials or either via our website, I'm going to reach back out to him and say, hey, TJ, we've had some questions. Can you get back on or can you answer it digitally or can you reach out to this person? So I encourage you to continue this conversation. You can also find us and communicate on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. All of those are Seek Go Create. Just do a search on Seek Go Create. Like us, connect with us, find us there, follow us, and uh, and we'll we'll look forward to interacting with you. Thank you again for joining us today. We look forward to connecting with you on the Seek Go Create podcast in the near future.